I wrote actually a post of why I think that Switzerland is not only will be, but is the world center of blockchain and cryptocurrency and health in blockchain. And that is for one simple reason. The Swiss understand per, for virtue of seven uh, centuries of democracy, they understand what direct democracy is. So this whole idea of interdependence, this whole idea that I am part of a community, I cannot throw my Kleenex on the floor because if everybody does it, life becomes impossible. That there is a tacit agreement and a social contract that the way I behave has an impact on other people just makes the Swiss so much amenable to understand uh, what blockchain really is. Welcome to the podcast, The Rock Uncovered. My name is Didier Burrell. In this podcast, we discover people in Switzerland playing an active role in crypto and in tech. I talk to entrepreneurs, tech innovators, and disruptors shaping the future in this country. Switzerland has always played a leading role in banking, and it has excellent universities and forward-thinking regulators. Switzerland has always recognized the need to espouse innovation early. Today, I am pleased to have Dr. Alex Kahana. On this podcast, we usually talk about crypto and startups in Switzerland. But Dr. Kahana is different. He is based in New York. He is interested in blockchain in a novel way. He is interested in how blockchain can affect healthcare and change a patient's relationship with his condition and also change the rapport between the patient and the pharmaceuticals. Dr. Kahana, can you tell us a little bit about your life? Because this is what led you to blockchain. Maybe your past in the military and then how you became an MD. Huh. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me. I'm always uh, pleased to talk about uh, innovation and new things and how to do new things. Indeed, my life uh, was, was, I would say, modeled after a long uh, military uh, service in the IDF. Uh, the reason I mention it is because it makes you not only, uh, uh, I would say, uh, mission-driven and data-driven and situation-aware, but you also really realize that none of us is as good as all of us. So this whole idea of distributed trust, of working in a team, is something that I would say embedded in my DNA. I think that after years of seeing pain in the battlefield, I decided that maybe instead of being part of it or inflicting pain, actually relieving pain would be a better job. So I started a full career in pain medicine. And for about a quarter of a century, I uh, was part and opened uh, multiple pain centers and pain programs, both in Israel, in Japan, in Switzerland, and in the United States. Okay, so you, I see you already have a, a sort of history of distribution and of working with many people in many places. You have once said something that I found was quite interesting because it uh, sees blockchain in a bit of a novel way, in a different way. As you once say, some people like blockchain because they like the sound money. Some people like blockchain because they like the technology. I'm one of those people who likes the two of, of the above. However, few people see it as uh, another way of distributing power or changing the relationships of power. And maybe you can develop that a little bit, because the only way I see how we change power is a little bit like in, in Bitcoin, if a refugee can keep control of his money or if his money doesn't get inflated away, that's one way of, of redistributing power. But uh, can you explain a little bit how you think a blockchain, especially in the healthcare space, is going to re redistribute the, the relationships of power between patients and pharmaceuticals and so on? Well, I think that, um, like, you, like you mentioned, a lot of people look at distributed ledger technology as an optimization game. You know, can it make my life faster, quicker, better, cheaper? Uh, can I do it in a way that will reduce friction, which will disintermediate and make things more convenient? I think that it's true that there are some use cases where DLT, distributed ledger technology, or blockchain, 
blockchain can do that. But I really think that the secret sauce in uh, a DLT uh, is this peer-to-peer economic activity that, you know, I transfer to you something of value. I own it. I know it's me. I transfer to you. I know it's you. I know exactly what that value is. And uh, there's no one in between that either uh, um, makes it more difficult or takes money out of that transaction. I think that uh, in healthcare specifically, what that makes it uh, interesting is that for the first time ever, uh, we can transform people from being passive health service consumers, because this is what we are right now. We just consume services. We can transform them to health producers, which means that uh, not only uh, can I start to walk my 10,000 steps a day or I can log in my sleep and all that. But through a settlement layer that is existing in the blockchain, and you mentioned cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, I can be rewarded for my healthy behavior. And so I'm developing a economic activity where actually I get rewarded or reimbursed for behaving well. Right now what's happening is it's very theoretical. I go to lunch, my wife looks at me and says, honey, if you eat blueberries instead of the cake, in 30 years you'll live 15 minutes more. That's very, very abstract. But if I know that every time I clock in my sleep, I walk when I'm supposed to walk, I refrain from smoking, I do not overdrink, I make healthy choices, I can get remunerated. It can be monetary or non-monetary. And this economic activity is not just between one direction between the doctor to me, so I get reimbursed for that, but also it could be from me back to the doctor. So imagine, you know, I'm going to the doctor, and the doctor says, uh, you know what, uh, Alex, you're fine, but you really need to exercise more. And so what I'll do is that every time that you exercise, I will give you a special coin. It's called the Didier coin. And with that Didier coin, I can go and maybe go to the gym and get a discount on the gym, or I can buy sneakers for less money, or I can, you know, just encourage me to do that. I won't get a coin, for example, if I go and buy fast food, or if I'll smoke, or if I'll vape. And so I can gamify a little bit that healthy behavior modification. Well, not a pharmaceutical, but those vendors that want that for that thing to happen. So the gym would want that, the supermarket would want that. But you'll see in a second how the pharmaceuticals fit in because they're not excluded from that economic activity. So first, as a patient, I get these DDA coins to behave well. But the doctors also uh, 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 can be reimbursed because uh, now the clinic manager says, uh, Dr. Kahana, how is it that your patients are doing so much better? And I say, well, I give them DDA coins. That's my secret sauce. And so the clinic manager says, okay, I want to buy some DDA coins. And all the doctors, you got to use this DDA coin. That's economic activity. And the vendors are participant in that um, uh, activity. And then the payer says, wait a second, why does this clinic or why does this hospital have healthier patients? Because they're using Didier coins. And so afterwards, the pharmaceuticals say, wait a second, now I want to recruit Alex. If I buy a Didier coin, I can immediately transact, and I don't have to go through all the hoops that I have to go through. So all the stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem Patients, doctors, hospitals, the industry, pharma, devices, payers, government. When you create these peer-to-peer direct activities, you actually make life much better and more inclusive. 
well, I thank you. That was a very clear explanation because on the one hand, I was a little bit dubious of what you were going to say because I saw you in a bit of a position of opposition to the pharmaceuticals, but here we see how you can sort of partner with pharmaceuticals and, and make the whole ecosystem a bit better. And, and you gave very concrete examples, so it sounds a little bit more concrete than often what we hear of the blockchain, which sounds like various other things. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Big Blockchain Innovation Group, who helped make this podcast possible. Need help understanding blockchain? Contact Big Blockchain Innovation Group. Their mission is to keep clients competitive. They enable clients to run their businesses faster, cheaper, and safer worldwide by using technologies like blockchain and distributed ledgers. They have education courses, they help clients identify opportunities and take educated decisions, and they support clients in the implementation process. Contact them at big, big-swiss.com. That's big-swiss.com. You, you have another very interesting take vis-a-vis healthcare is that you once described basically pain being almost like isolation. Pain brings you into isolation. And the fact that we could have some sort of blockchain is going to bring people together or help people communicate, which is going to take them out of their isolation. Can you explain that a bit? Of course, of course. You know, many times I'm asked, and I once I remember t- I testified in Congress, and I asked the congressman over there, um, what is the opposite of health? And it's not a trick question. Many, most people ask, you know, for your audience now is listening, what is the opposite of health? I'm sure that in their head they're saying illness or disease. And it's because of that answer that what we have is not a healthcare system but a disease management system. And I would argue that the opposite of health is not disease. The opposite of health is isolation. That through disease and illness, your world starts to contract and become smaller and smaller until one day you wake up, you feel so alone that you decide to take a Xanax, you decide to take an OxyContin, you drink maybe a little bit too much, and then you die. And in the United States, 150 people, 150 people today will die from an overdose. And that's from that intense uh, uh, sense of isolation or uh, what we call deaths of despair. And so the way I explain it to my 14-year-old daughter is I say that when we take the I out of illness and we put in we, it turns into wellness. So really the opposite of health is uh, the opposite of of. of, 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 of um, isolation is connectedness. And that connectedness can be to your data, it could be to your friends, your family, your faith, your community. It's really all about distributed trust, and data is part of that. And so uh, where, where blockchain makes it interesting is, again, this idea that you can transform people from being passive health consumers to health producers, and now through cryptocurrency, also wealth producers. So for example, I this year did not use drugs. My insurance company saved $25,000 on that. I don't recall getting a check from them. I don't recall getting a check from 23andMe when I gave them my genetic data, which I would never do. But they closed a deal with a large company. I don't recall getting any checks. So, so patients or people that actually give out that data are not participating in this economy. And so that's part of the sense of isolation. It's the part of sense that I am being used. And so if you say, my behavior translates into data, and that data has value, which means that me as a person, I am valuable. That is part of that inclusiveness that takes us away from that sense of being isolated. And I think that uh, for the first time, this type of technology really overcomes 
the uh, problems of not only siloing data, but also being part of something big, bigger than just yourself. Okay, because that was a little bit the concrete question in the short term is that a lot of people are still vis-a-vis privacy suspicious of giving away their data, and hospitals and various healthcare groups have problems of information being siloed and they have data protection laws that they can't just uh, give it away. Th- those are sort of technical uh, computer issues. Do you think those will be resolved naturally? Are you relatively optimistic that we get to, uh, from a technological point of view, a problem where, a state where that's no longer a problem? Very much, very much. And I think it's a generational thing. You know, uh, my generation, my wife, you know, we, we don't get this whole idea of what does it mean that my data is self-sovereign? What does it mean it belongs to me? My 14-year-old, on the other hand, she understands that it's hers and she'll never post anything that's outside there that she doesn't want to. So, yes, there are technical things that need to be solved. Like, for example, zero proof knowledge, you know, how do you keep privacy without divulging, you know, sensitive issues. Uh, but it's, it's really more about um, uh, uh, understanding that the most valuable thing that you have in a pers- as, as a person is your information. And that information is not just the static information, when I was born, what's in my passport, what I do, but also my dynamic information of... I'm walking around, I'm generating this information, this information might be valuable for other people, I can consent, when do I want to give it, when do I want, don't want to give it, how much should I give, all these things I am very optimistic and there are a couple of very interesting projects that are out there uh, that I will not quote on your show because then others will say why didn't you quote me, but there are definitely a handful of very interesting, some are pilots, some are a little bit more mature, in countries like India, in, in countries like Estonia, Denmark, and Africa, that these things are actually happen, happening as we speak. Well, I'm very happy to hear that you, I mean, agree a little bit that uh, I think one of the big things in the future is basically self-sovereign identity and people monetizing their, their own data, getting the benefit of their own data instead of having Google and Facebook get it. And so I certainly think we're going that way, but it still takes some time. I know you're in a bit of a rush for time, so we usually finish off with a few rapid-fire questions. One is, uh, give me, say, the best book you've either ever read or read in the last five years. One can be, I don't know, health-related or doesn't have to be anything health Radical Markets, by far. Radical Markets by uh, 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 Eric Posner and Glenn Wyeth. Uh, it is a book about explaining, not just complaining about capitalism, but explaining how can we change our markets in a way that it'll be inclusive. So it's not a finance book, it's not an econ book. There are a whole bunch of things that are in there, uh, but it really is a hopeful book that allows people to understand that we can get out of this current situation that we're in. Uh, How do you define success in life? Mm, uh, I would say uh, the the, the procurement of good. If I see that through what I um, am doing, I see that there's a betterment of other people than I've been successful. So if my students are better than me, I have been a good teacher. And if through policies that I helped create, there are now thousands or tens of thousands of lives that have been saved, I've done well. So that's, that's for me success. It reminds me of Jacques, Jacques Attali said, uh, don't think of trying to be happy, think of trying to be useful. Mm-hmm. useful to other people. Exactly. Okay. The most overrated and underrated aspects of blockchain? I think uh, uh, overrated is uh, this whole problem of volatility and bad behavior. I think that the bad behavior that we see in cryptocurrencies are exactly the bad behavior that we see in general 
And so I don't know why people are so surprised and underrated is what we talked about, this special sauce, this peer-to-peer -peer economic activity. Nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about how can I actually get an income from behaving well. So I hope that through this show and many other shows, this message will come through. Well, you sort of answered the next question was a big change coming that most people don't see coming. And so you see that's, that, that's, that's definitely it. And finally, as we're in Switzerland, uh, what would you say, like, either culturally or politically, are the, the biggest uh, strengths and weaknesses of, say, Switzerland compared to other countries for, okay, whether it be in healthcare, which is your Dada or, or blockchain? Well, I, I wrote actually a post of why I think that Switzerland is not only will be, but is the world center of blockchain and cryptocurrency and health in blockchain. And that is uh, uh, for one simple reason. The Swiss understand per, for virtue of seven uh, centuries of democracy, they understand what direct democracy is. So this whole idea of interdependence, this whole idea that I am part of a community, I cannot throw my clinics on the floor because if everybody does it, life becomes impossible. That there is a tacit agreement and a social contract that the way I behave has an impact on other people just makes uh, 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 the Swiss so much amenable to understand uh, what blockchain really is. There are countries that are very good in medicine don't understand anything in blockchain. There are countries that are very good in blockchain, do not have good medicine. And specifically, healthcare life science and uh, uh, blockchain, between the Health Valley and the Trust Valley here in Geneva, it's a perfect mix. Thank you, Dr. Karnow. It was a pleasure to have you. We hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Didier. Bye-bye.